You are listening to Wait a Minute with Beth and Jessica, episode 25. I'm Jessica Pearson, a body image and weight loss coach. And I'm Beth Barnett-Babel, integrative nutrition therapist. Hello, hello. Today we are going to talk about binge eating. Binging is defined as a period of excessive indulgence, such as overeating, but can also apply this definition to drinking drugs or anything that you consume, including TV, gaming, or my favorite, social media. <laughs> yeah. This is a word that may be controversial and it is often charged with a lot of emotions like shame, guilt, or fear because you've probably been told that binging is bad or that you shouldn't ever do it or that there might be something wrong with you if you are doing it, which I don't find too helpful (laughs) necessarily. Yeah. And we want to be really clear that like any complex behavior, there is a spectrum of experiences or behaviors that we will be in. And those relationships with binging range from occasionally eating a lot of food to a diagnosed eating disorder. And we are going to be mostly talking about binge eating food But the same can be said for the things we mentioned before, like TV, gaming, social media, drugs, alcohol. Beth and I do not work with actively diagnosed eating disorders because there are many professionals that are highly specialized and qualified in this field. So we leave that work to them. This podcast episode or any episode is not meant to diagnose or treat eating disorders on any scale. If you believe you might have an eating disorder, it's always a good idea to speak to a professional. If this particular topic feels a little bit charged or triggering, please feel free to skip it. So what we are here to do today is talk about the other end of a binge eating spectrum. There are people out there like maybe you that find themselves in patterns with food that might feel off or at a little times out of control. And these patterns are not creating any major disruptions in your life, but you know your relationship with food needs help. This is for when you do those things with food that feel off to you. There is no normal, but if it doesn't feel right or normal, to you, then that's what we want to talk about. So for you, we want to discuss binging and why you might be doing it so you can start to bring awareness and address this relationship with food and yourself. Yes. And I just want to point out there's something that I like to do when a client comes to me using the word binge. I always like to ask, what does that mean to them? Because everyone describes it so differently. Mm You know, when they eat, what they eat, how much, why they think they do it is so unique to them. Mm -hmm. It's almost criminal to wrap up this like rainbow of experiences in a one word action. Mm -hmm. So I really like to work to like strike this word from their vocabulary, if at all possible, and really focus on the facts of each individual experience. So we're going to share a few of the most common reasons why you might be binging. Again, this is super complex and perhaps a mix of reasons, but the point is to give you, again, that awareness and maybe a starting point to build more understanding of this behavior. 
Okay. So we have, I don't know, at least four really great reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the first one I think is probably one of the most common, which is because it's probably so easy and applies to so many of us, which is just either skipping meals, our meals are too small. Maybe we're eating too many diet foods or just over restricting. We're kind of in this like over restriction binge cycle. Yeah. And so again, binging what we like to talk about is eating. I mean, I usually say a lot at one time. Right. But what is a lot, you know? But, right. And then, so it's a lot. And to me, it means saying that you're going past your hunger cues and full cues. And so you're eating not in relationship with those. And so you might not be hungry when you start the eating event and then you continue well past being full. But the thing is a lot about it is that people are not in touch with those hunger and full cues, which is why the events occur. Yeah. And I think especially this is tricky, right? With like maybe intermittent fasting or just different kinds of diets that people are trying. Mm -hmm. They end up doing those plans without listening to those cues, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're like restricting certain things. And then we're using that willpower to hold on to this restricted plan and then it lets go. And then we're like, oh my gosh, I have to cheat. I have to, Mm -hmm. you know, you find yourself in the situation where the food is so good. You just can't stop because you've been denying Mm -hmm. that kind of food for a certain amount of time. So two small meals on purpose or accidentally skipping meals is like a big one for people, as you kind of alluded to at the very beginning of this reason is because one thing that's happening that I think people don't realize is, and this is like kind of the behavior and I can really identify it with, with it because sometimes I do get busy in a day and I I honestly forget to eat or I miss my window of opportunity of being able to go into the kitchen to get food. So you're hungry, real hungry. Your brain feels a little bit woozy and you know you have food that you're going to make for yourself. But at the same time, you are also grazing your pantry and your refrigerator and eating a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You got some nuts in there. You got some chips in there. You got, you just start putting things in your mouth and you're grazing as you go because what biologically is happening is once you've reached a level of hunger and now you're around food again, that old original hardware that we came into human existence with of needing food is there. And so we are driven for making up from missed meals to catch up because it's like, oh my gosh, I might not have access to this food again. So we're going into like really old biological hardware software when we get into this level of hunger. It's like we almost can't stop ourselves and we can't because we're in a different part of our brain. It's like the emotional version of lizard brain. You know, we don't have any rational emotions. It can be like that because we're driven to what is the easiest, most efficient food. And so then we get all that in. And this is usually why most people are, when they're overeating, it is later in the day, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's either like that late afternoon or even after dinner, because your body is trying to make up for what you missed or what Mm -hmm. you didn't get throughout the day. So that's like a really common behavior pattern or cycle. And there's, there's just so many ways that this can look, which is why oftentimes, you know, we don't do like food log tracking where you're counting calories or macros, but sometimes I ask to 
see photos of people's meals just because like what they think a plate of food looks like might be different from what I think their plate of food might look like. And I feel like eight out of 10 times, you know, when people log and it's usually like a day or three or something, I'll look at it and I'm like, you're not eating enough. That's like one of the most common things, right? Where people think like, I don't understand. I keep reducing calories. I'm eating less and less and I'm still holding on to weight. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so then when we tell them you're actually not eating enough, it is so contradictory for them. It's like, it blows their mind. Yes. So this is why you go on little diets throughout the week and the weekend you go a little bit crazy or you accidentally or on purpose skip meals or whatever. And then, you know, I'm not opposed to intermittent fasting, but this is why I like to make sure that people are in a state where they can actually go the distance because we, the point of intermittent fasting is to have hunger, but not to be starving when you break your fast. Like you're not supposed to be like, Oh my gosh, how fast can I get this in? Like regulating your blood sugar means that it's not also dipping down too far. And then you're having to like have that scavenge pattern of breaking your fast while also getting your meal ready. Okay. So this next reason is another kind of big one, right? So it's, there's biological and neurological reasons. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things like dopamine and serotonin. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about this? So some of these reasons, we are going to talk about medications, but this is like not medicated, biological and neurological. It can be tied to actual alterations in your neurotransmitters. So some of us naturally have lower dopamine levels or have neurodivergent brains like ADHD. And so you keep going towards getting that neurochemical boost, like that little shot of dopamine from a sugar item or a high flower food or something like that. Or sometimes we might have more of like a hyperarousal brain and we have found that food can be actually calming to us and so we'll use it in that way. Or we've tied certain foods to being excitatory and getting that dopamine boost. Mostly it's the processed foods that do that, like it's engineered to do that. So that's kind of like how that can be. And then every once in a while, our microbiota or those that live within us um, can actually drive us to... And she's talking about bacteria and or yeast. And parasites <laughs> can drive us to have different eating patterns and to eat different things and to eat more of something because it is of their benefit. They're trying to help get fuel source. Yeah. I know it's crazy to think that there's like these organisms inside of you that are making decisions for you. It's super creepy to think about it. Yeah, way. they are. So like there's yeast, which can drive a lot of carbohydrate and sugar cravings. And then there is bacteria and bacteria can interact in a lot of different ways. Like it can actually interact with and influence serotonin and dopamine. And so then we might have more or less of it. And so that can alter how we eat. And then parasites will try to help get you to eat more so they can eat more spooky it's super spooky <laughs> but yeah so the bacteria can be multiple in that it's actually interacting with your neurotransmitters in a way because sometimes yeah so anyways i don't want to go too far into it but yeah So So something to consider. And so Mm -hmm. how would somebody know if this were the case? I think with the yeast and bacteria, there's definitely lab testing, right? There's testing for that. Same with parasites. So parasites are notoriously very hard to get unstool tests. And then there has been 
some development and some tests, organic acid. And there's this other one that can test different compounds and it would kind of determine like some B6 and other factors. Anyway, so the dopamine serotonin can be a little bit challenging, but sometimes it can be done. And then also just what is your relationship to certain processed foods? Like why do you go towards them? Is it actually lighting you up in your your brain and you're not really realizing it? Because some people are like, wow, once I finally realized that I actually don't like the way X, Y, and Z tastes. Mm -hmm. It was really just for the a little hit. Yeah. And I know also the ADHD thing comes with that compulsory need, right? So it's like, I just have this compulsion. It's like a quick, like at the checkout counter, they have those last minute items and it's kind of the same thing of like, I just need something really quick. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's just interesting to see like, you know, if you already know that you have, you know, these diagnoses, it's just good to know that they might go hand in hand. Yeah. So sometimes like if we have low serotonin, it can really create some overeating events because you're trying to get some amino acids in there to boost up. So it can really drive that some carbohydrate balance with serotonin as well. So some of these, when we're low on them, can actually, we have an overeating event because we're trying to get enough to feel what would be a quote unquote normal dopamine serotonin. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about reason number three. Which is our emotions. Yeah. I would say this for me is the main reason why people overeat. Yeah. Oh yeah. So often we just don't have the capacity to feel our feelings, Mm -hmm. especially the harder feelings like anger, grief, sadness, anxiety. Mm -hmm. You know, many of us are not given the coping tools in childhood. So we don't have those to take with us into adulthood. So we develop coping mechanisms like eating for comfort. Mm -hmm. And this behavior is or was at least at one point protective and simply helping you to survive. So for me, when people say there's something wrong with binging, it's like, no, that's just how your body is behaving to survive. It's Mm -hmm. actually serving you or at least it was serving you at some point. Mm -hmm. But then maybe that behavior come so deeply wired that you're not finding that it's serving you any longer. Right. The power of gravy, cream gravy, not brown <laughs> gravy, and mashed potatoes when I am feeling in a low state of sadness or I mean, I'm still sad, but that comfort, I will eat it to discomfort, but it feels so good to eat that gravy with the mashed potatoes. I love yeah. it so much. Yeah. So I think it's like, if we're developing that coping mechanism and then it becomes maybe unbalanced where we're doing it too often to where our Mm -hmm. body can balance that, that's when it might be time to be like, how can I better manage my feelings so that I'm not eating them every single time? Right. We don't ever say like, oh, you're just never going to eat a feeling again because... I don't think that's realistic for most people. No, it's not. And I, you know, I have to say that this was a big reason for a lot of the food choices that I would make. I didn't realize it. I mean, I developed a lot of them in childhood. And so, and I developed the power of gravy many when I was very young. So, I mean, but once I was aware of it, then I was able to sit with them more and then sometimes not and still would need to eat feelings. And there are days like we talk about, you know, like we talk about like, oh yes, I needed to eat my feelings today, but it's like a conscious. Yes. You know that you're doing it. 
Yeah. But, and so what we want for people to realize is like, is this happening? Because once we can kind of look at it, it's like, are you eating your feelings? And it's not bad. It's like, let's start to shine a light on it because what are the feelings that you're avoiding that you haven't been able to cope with or sit with? And how can we help you look at those now? Yeah. And I also want to point out eating your feelings doesn't necessarily have to be any of these like big emotions. It could also just be like boredom. So I have, you know, clients that are like, I always thought emotional eating meant, oh my gosh, I'm so sad. Therefore I'm eating a pint of ice cream. And I'm like, well, what if we looked at it as like, just not eating for hunger? Right. What are these other things that you're doing? You're like, oh, I just, I didn't realize I was mindlessly snacking at these times. And you know, why is that? Well, I was just bored. So it's like, well, I'd rather have this like little moment of excitement than feel this feeling of boredom. So it doesn't always have to be like avoiding your trauma. It could just be like, I don't want to do my work today. (laughs) Yeah. And some anxiety, like social anxiety, when people go to events where there is a lot of food, people that don't like those situations can use the food as a way to help yeah, it's like a blanket. A cozy place to be is stand next to the food. Mm-hmm. Then at least we can talk about the appetizers. I don't have to come up with some other random topic. So that can be a place where that shows up for people. Okay, let's talk about our last reason, which is not the final reason. We know there probably no. are other many, many reasons, but you know, these, these are, are the, kind top of the, ones. the top ones for us. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about medications and like substances, weed, booze, that kind of thing. How does that affect? Yeah, um, a lot of the antidepressant medicines can alter serotonin, dopamine, and also leptin. So there are medications that are very helpful, but they do alter their hunger hormones. Some people have to be on steroids for a long period of time, Mm. and that alters their food intake as well. Some of them will block hunger, and so you don't eat. And then when, when it wears off, like Adderall, you weren't hungry before, and then you become ravenous once the medication is left. And so then you're like eating, eating, eating. The munchies are real if you use... The munchies are real. Yes. If you are using cannabis, the munchies are real. And I like to point out because some people will say, well, you know, it's natural and it's not harmful. And I say, well, that doesn't mean that it can't create effects in your body or cause things to happen. People on this have had several clients where their eating patterns did get off because of their pot use in the evening or in the day. And then it altered what they ate and how much they ate. And so then they ended up with like SIBO and some other things like that because small intestinal bowel overgrowth because of, you know, how it was showing up for them because of how much and then the patterns and things like that actually did cause issues. And so it's not like we're like, never do these things if that's something that you enjoy, but maybe there needs to be like a balance or a shift in how you use it, or maybe it's a combo of, Hey, I need to learn how to deal with my emotions when I'm using this substance or whatever. So yeah. Or having like a plan of like, yeah, it's like, how does food show up with this? And so being intentional with why you're using the substance in the first place. So what are my intentions behind it? And you know, 
noticing how there's these downstream effects that are not so helpful to them. Correct. And yeah. like, let's talk about alcohol as another mm. substance that, yep. you know, it loosens you up, you feel really relaxed and then you're like, wow, I'm really hungry. Why right. is that? <laughs> yeah. So it turns out there's a couple of different reasons. One, your brain thinks that you are starving yourself with the alcohol. It's a region in your brain. And so when the, when you have the alcohol, these peptides are released. And so then it's altering your food behaviors or your hunger signals. And so then you feel like you're really starving, but you're not. And part of it is you kind of are because when you drink alcohol, your body has to process the ethanol first. It kind of stops everything else by and large. And so I guess because of that, then this agouti protein is released. And so then it thinks you're starving. And so then you feel the need to eat a lot just, of food. I'm just remembering all of those late night <laughs> pizzas. <laughs> In college, yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, so good though. But there's also the blood sugar of it all, right? So then yeah. you're like, the alcohol can disrupt your blood sugar. That eating event can disrupt your blood sugar. And then like so the next that's usually day. at night, the next day where the blood sugar comes in. But the night of when you're, if you're still awake, that's why you will do that. So it can be a combination, but yeah, it usually continues to the, to the next day. Well, it disrupts your sleep if you're over drinking, right? So if you actually have a blood sugar issue from that, like you might find it's like your sleep is not great or you wake up at like, you know, a few hours after you go to bed and you don't feel good. So then the next day you're tired. Now you're a little hungover, you know, you're, everything's disrupted. So then it makes it really challenging to make, you know, supportive choices <laughs> the right. next day. So then it's like the cycle continues. And then if you're drinking, if you're drinking like in consecutive evenings or days, it's just, you know, it winds up and builds up. Yeah. So let's talk about our takeaway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, what does normal even mean? You know, Uh I, I think it's very unhelpful that we view binging as wrong or Mm -hmm. not normal because sometimes you decide to eat to discomfort. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't. Yeah. And only you know what feels good to you, right? So it's not even the actual action of eating, but it's like the way that we're thinking about it. So, you know, I might go into an event, but it's like, I know that I'm doing this for comfort and pleasure versus mm-hmm. like going into it with shame or guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think about it too, this just popped in my head, is that there are times where like the sensation of not being really full doesn't feel comfortable. Like that doesn't feel good. So to have like some sense of emptiness or just satisfied is not comforting to them. Mm-hmm. Feel okay. And so then the binging comes from that binging gives a sense of comfort in their belly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I totally was there at some point. It was probably only in the last few years where I really worked on just not getting to that point where you're like, oh, I can stop when I'm full. I don't have to feel stuffed so often. Mm-hmm. And it really was just like there was some kind of comfort in that slightly over full feeling. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it was interesting. So yeah, I think like probably chasing what we think is normal isn't going to be super helpful mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. we're, we don't need to like fix you, right? There's nothing wrong with you. 
And so we really teach our clients how to feel and process their feelings. Mm -hmm. We want to change our thought patterns and belief patterns about our relationship with food and Mm -hmm. the way that we eat. And yes, we do talk about the food and nutrition because I think it is important to have an idea of like, well, what is supportive? But we also want to make sure that you're really healthy, you know, from the inside out, top to bottom, mental health, inner physical health. Mm -hmm. That's what radiates outward. And that's how we know we feel really good is when those things are in check. Yeah. So please reach out to us and let us know what you think about today's podcast and stay tuned for our segment. Each week, we keep our eyes peeled for things in the media or in real life that come from diet culture or that perpetuate diet culture in some way. These are often the subtle ways it creeps in and which is why we are shining a light on it and sharing it with you. So this week, which actually ends up kind of going with this topic, oddly enough, now that I think about it, is it's not an ad though I still get plenty of them, (laughs) is people complimenting other people on their body or weight. Yeah. This is something totally in real life that I think probably if people have awareness of, they might start noticing. Did it happen to you recently or was it you or did you notice it with somebody else? I think I just hear about it. I do notice it. And then now that starting to see more and more people can just kind of be like, Oh, you look so good or you lost some weight or, you know, just things like that. And so I think it just is like kind of coming up in a broad way. Well, I actually heard it once this week. It was a friend talking about another friend and I don't know that they know each other that closely, you know, but one friend was saying like, Oh, I saw so-and-so and they look so thin. They've lost so much weight. Like they look so good. <laughs> and I was like, huh? Because in my mind, I have some idea of this person's lifestyle and I have been to know that they're, you know, very busy and just like not eating and maybe not taking the greatest care of themselves. So like, I don't know if that level of thin is like, coming from a place of self-care, you know, and I just kind of get my mouth shut and like try to divert because obviously I'm not going to talk about that other person's business to this other person, you know? So I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting because it's like part of me, you know, wants to, to pull in the work and just be like, well, why do you think that that's a good thing? But I just, the time and the place wasn't right. So find something else to say to somebody you know, that you haven't seen in a while. How is their hair? What are, are they wearing something that you really like? Is there something else or like literally there's nothing wrong with, I'm so happy to see you and end it at that. <laughs> uh, like we don't need to compliment somebody, even though you know that they had been working out or started a new something, a new health program. It doesn't matter if they want to talk about it, they will bring it up with you. But I don't think that commenting on other people's body, even though you might think that they look good and you're just trying to, you know, offer words of encouragement, it can feel good to the person, but also start to continue to be like, oh, I do need to keep doing these types of things in order to get this external validation. And that's what we're, we don't want 
people to feel anymore. They don't need that external validation, how their body looks all the time, regardless of the ups and the downs is what's important. Yeah. And it's a practice. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people that, you know, when they hear this, they're going to be like, what? (laughs) Like, is this not a compliment? Is this not a good thing? And, you know, like you said, it's like, yes, it does feel good to that person, you know, if they're of that mindset, but it does perpetuate the diet culture mentality. So how do we get out of it is like, we stop talking about it so much or putting so much value on it. You know, I think when we make that like the first compliment, it's like, Oh, this is what you value about me is my body and the way that I look when obviously, you know, if you gained 50 pounds, I would still be your friend. Like, you know, it doesn't, (laughs) I value you so much more than just the way that you look in your body, you know? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I have had people say things to me about my body if I have changed in some way, but, um, it hasn't been recent, but I do remember a time and it was so interesting because I actually had lost like a smidge of weight. Um, I was just exercising really well, but it was really after I let the emotional burden of my body, whatever its size was go. And so it was really like an emotional weight loss. And I guess it came out in my body and I did, I had somebody compliment me and it was a weird time. And like, maybe it's the, it's kind of like the cheap compliment. Maybe they actually noticed that you were like radiating and more happy, but they didn't know the words to put on it. And so their brain was just like, Oh, you must've lost weight. You know? Yeah. She said, Oh, you look like you've lost like 10 pounds. You look so great. And I'm like, you know, and I was just like, thanks. It was just like, I felt so awkward. Yeah. No, it just felt really awkward. And I didn't really know what to say. Which we talked about this, which is like, you never know the reason why somebody has lost weight, you know? So we just assume it's like a health factor, but it's, that's almost not always the case. So we just want to be mindful of that. And also, I think it's also more interesting to get more interesting, like be more interesting and think of mm-hmm. other ways to connect than right. just the external. It is a challenge. And it is a challenge. And yes, the simple, the simple, I'm just so happy to be with you. I'm so happy to see you. How's your day going? Like any of those things, <laughs> you know, it's fine to <laughs> not say something to somebody about their appearance. Even if you know they're working on themselves. I mean, I even get stuck with that sometimes with clothes because I'm like, should I not be talking about their cl- their choice in clothing? Because <laughs> I'm like, is that boring? I don't know. Because I'm like, I have so many friends with such, you know, so many good ideas about fashion. And I'm like, yeah. I just want to talk about it. But I'm like, maybe I need to be digging deeper. Right. It's like you wouldn't tell somebody, oh, I can see that your new medication is working really well for you. Like that, (laughs) we wouldn't say that. So why do we need to compliment on some of these food choices that is coming out in the way that their body is changing? We're going to leave it on that one. Yeah, We're going to leave it on that note. I sure hope that we gave you something new to think about today and helped you take one more step on your path to freeing yourself from diet culture. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition. If you're looking to work with us, please visit our website at pathnutrition.com to get started. Bye everyone. We'll see you later. Bye.